0: Just a heads up, this episode of Not Alone contains a personal story of mental health. If you or someone you know needs support, visit beyondblue.org.au or call our support service on 1300 22 Hey there, I'm Mark Fennell and from Beyond Blue, this is Not Alone. Remarkable stories from everyday Australians talking about their mental health journey to help you with yours. And this episode is all about dealing with work stress. I'm nearly 30, and have never reached a point where I can say, yeah, I love my job. My boss is a bully. It's the worst stress I've ever experienced.
1: He thinks no one is good enough. I've lost all confidence. I don't sleep. And feel completely incapable of holding down a job. Far too few staff and far too much work. I know if I have time off, there's no one to cover me. My fear is that my business will go bust. I want to be able to go to work and not dread every shit. Is it
2: time to leave this room? I've cried nearly every day at work for a week.
1: I remember a situation of a young guy that I worked with and he didn't provide something that I had asked him to do and I blew up in the office. And that situation and many others
0: over the years, I never understood why I was getting angry. It would just come up. For many of us, spending most of your waking life at work is, well, it's just what being an adult is all about. And often stress accompanies every single one of those work hours. But contrary to the name, work stress, it has this way of bleeding into all other parts of our world, our home life, our relationship. And of course, it can be fuelled by our behaviours, our personalities, and just those really ingrained parts of who we are. For 55-year-old Tim, doing a good job has always been just at the very heart of who he is. It's a fact he learnt as a boy growing up on a farm near the South Australian coast.
1: I was a smart kid that did well at school. Teachers liked me. Um, I did the right thing. I studied. I learnt. I got good grades. My parents wanted me to learn piano, so I learnt piano. Um, I was quite good at sport, and I always wanted to be doing the best I possibly could to make my father proud of me. Um, in particular, I suppose, yeah, getting his approval uh, and also my mother, and then the wider family, because my dad came from um, a large family. So I wanted, didn't want to be the son or the cousin that let the family name down. And predominantly
0: part of what was driving that was that I was gay. During his high school years, Tim's family packed up the farm and moved to Brisbane, It was now the early 80s and in the big smoke, teenage Tim was able to interact with other members of the gay community and not feel quite so isolated. And so at the age of 19, Tim made the decision to come out to his family. It's a sensitive question to ask, so feel free if you you don't want to answer it, but how did that go? <laughs> so well, I gather from that, <laughs>
1: not at all pain laugh. Well, it's actually it's actually really. When I look back now, it's a fascinating story. And when I often tell other oh, people, they're like, "What? It went not very well for all of us, oh, but in different ways." So the very first thing they did was call the minister. <laughs> that was tough because the whole family was sitting in the room, and then the minister arrived, and I'm like seriously, what on earth is going to happen
0: now? (laughs) So what did the minister do? (laughs)
1: Um, He talked quite a bit. They'll they'll do that, don't they? Yeah, they do that. He tried to calm my parents down. Um, You know, my dad was was quite angry. My mother was trying to be supportive. And (laughs) I think back now, it was like watching a movie. Hmm. And, you know, everybody's sitting in the lounge room and the telly's in the corner. And there's the minister coming in. And I'm like... Uh, this is not going to go very well. There was no... Nothing that he could tell my parents that could change anything. It just was there sitting in the middle of the room. When I found out about it and came out to my parents, guilt was unbelievable. Mm. And it was incredibly tough to deal with. Because all of a sudden... I was like, I'm letting the family down, I'm the only son. I went into this overload of guilt and punishment to myself, let alone what anyone else was thinking. I was doing a really damn good job myself mm. of getting stuck into me. And so therefore, when I started work, I wanted to mask that so that I could be a really good person. And successful person. And I carried that for many, many years.
0: But then, into Tim's life, enters Joe. So
1: we were introduced. He had curly hair then. Doesn't have any now. Um, He was wearing jeans. (laughs) I think it was a T-shirt and a leather jacket. Nice. And we sat alone and we talked a little bit It was incredibly wonderful. Mm. Then I called him up and we went on a date. And went around, picked him up, and we went to the movies. Love it. And we saw Batteries Not Included by Steven Spielberg. Classic. Yes, classic. Um, And then after that we went on a couple other dates and then we started dating. And it it completely
0: changed the rest of my life. And while the relationship progressed, Tim chose to keep his sexuality and really by extension, Joe, secret from his corporate life. Now, Joe, on the other hand, he worked in hospitality and never felt the need to put a veil over his real self in the same way that Tim did. What did Joe think about this, watching you engage in this day after day after day? I think there's there's two things
1: about what did Joe think. Part of it is Joe didn't know the extent of which the games I would play at work. Really? Because it was such a game that I would play that I would just go into that role when I went to work.
0: Were you ever envious of the freedom he had in his job that you didn't allow no. yourself?
1: Absolutely.
0: I put barriers and roadblocks and
1: all sorts of stuff around me and in front of me. Nobody else did that. I looked over at John and I think, oh, you know, it's hospitality, that's so much easier, isn't it? Yeah. But it wasn't. He was just a freer person. He was just... More accepting of his situation, his lot, and he just got on with it. Um, because at the end of the day, the people that I worked with, by the time number of them found out, it wasn't really a surprise. The only person that was surprised at the end of the day was me. But they weren't
0: surprised. Not <laughs> <laughs> <Like>, really. <laughs> Tim's sexuality, a secret he had maintained for so much of his life, was now out in the open. And though, in a sense, a weight had been lifted from his shoulders, the unhealthy pressure he put on himself to succeed, that was still very much deeply ingrained, like this static, faintly playing in the background of a movie. Then, in 2007, Tim left his job in the corporate world to establish a small bookkeeping business with a friend. The idea was that Tim would be the salesman and the marketer, while his business partner brought the technical knowledge. And Tim says the philosophy for the business, true to form, was simply just be really good at it. Why was it important to you to to have something of your own? You're building up from from f- something small. Okay,
1: I was um I was in corporate and I was kind of restless and feeling unfulfilled, not feeling like I was going anywhere or things didn't seem to be coming together for me. So I thought, i oh, I go and start my own business. Now, I'd always wanted to do that. I always wanted to be in charge. And I thought this would be a great thing to do.
0: Did it also present a whole new different set of stresses and challenges? Because I imagine it might have.
1: Running a small business is not for the faint-hearted. It is incredibly challenging. There is certainty. There is uncertainty. There are many masters, your team, ATO, your clients, your suppliers. Often it's incredibly isolating. You know, very, very stressful.
0: The pressures at work grew, and soon the cracks got wider and deeper.
1: There were a number of things that were happening at work that were unhealthy and, I'm not very proud to say, had occurred. There was one client in particular that I had worked with in corporate who was also now a client of mine. And I remember a situation where they rang and they weren't happy with something one of my staff had done. So I got the information, then instead of logically going and talking to my staff member, I would accuse them of uh-huh. doing the wrong thing. So I went straight from, this person told me this, so therefore it must be true, so now I'm going to come over and I'm going to accuse you, you've done the wrong thing, and do you know how important this customer is to us, and you've done something wrong, and do you know how bad that is for the business? You seem so ashamed. Because that's not who I am. Everything that went wrong. I took personally and often then unloaded onto somebody else. Over the years, I had some great people working for me and they would move on.
0: Do you think they moved on because of you? Sometimes
1: they did. Absolutely. remember one case I had a young guy working for me. He was a great guy. He really did well with clients. And then he comes to me and goes, I'm resigning. And I'm like, crap. So I go, immediately into what's wrong with me. Hmm. So I flip it around. Instead of blaming the staff member about the client, I blame Tim about him leaving. How was your sleep during hmm. this time? I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would check my bank account to see if customers had have, have paid because have we got enough cash flow? Are we going okay? The other side of it would be I'd wake up in the middle of the night and I'd check my email. What if a staff member was resigned? What if some? What if somebody else leaves me? How how am I going to deal with that? Incredibly illogical, but part of the pattern that I was in around taking everything personally. There's something wrong with me. What am I not doing right?
0: How is Joe dealing with all this at
1: this point? Joe is an incredibly strong. Man, He's very calm and he has a real resilience. Well, he had to (laughs) because we're still together. (laughs) So he had an incredible resilience. I would bring home the problems of work and I would literally dump them on the kitchen bench and I would go over and over and over them. It would go on and on and on. I'm lucky he just didn't pack up around the door.
0: Why do you think he didn't? Because he, he loves me. <laughs> 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 and although it was true when the Beatles sang it, love wasn't all that Tim needed. The problem was he didn't really have much of an idea of what changes or additions he could make to his work life to get that balance right. And so with the business quickly becoming this unhealthy obsession, he started punishing himself for any moments he allowed his mind to drift to other pursuits until he cut them out completely.
1: As things started to build up and I got more and more stressed, I stopped doing a number of things. Sport was one of them. Not immediately, but just Slowly. I pulled back from it. I started to give myself reasons that I didn't have time to do that, reasons that I should be focusing more on my business or in the office.
0: And what sort of impact do you think that had on
1: on your mental health? That had a catastrophic impact for me personally because there was no leveller, there was no time out, there was no activity that would help reduce my stress, clear my head, sociability was a big part of who I am
0: and I pulled away from that as well. When you think back to that Tim, how do you feel about that guy?
1: I feel about that guy that he was in trouble and he didn't want to admit it, didn't want to be that person that was struggling with something that he wasn't really sure of but it sounded like mental health, he didn't want to be that person because he was, you know, strong Tim and successful Tim, and that's what he wanted to be. But he didn't want to be that Tim over there. It's not the brand, is it? No, it's not the brand. And with all the other things going on, he's got to be a perfectionist and he's got to be this and he's got to be that. So he didn't want to be Tim that might have had mental health issues. But it was tough because he didn't know. And he wasn't really sure. He knew something was going on, but he didn't really know. How would you cope? One of the things that I noticed when Joe was travelling a lot, because he worked for a big travel company and he was away a lot, is I would be at home on my own a lot more. And I'd be watching TV and I'd have a drink or two. And I'm a person that certainly enjoys a drink but doesn't drink to excess. But the regularity of this started to increase and that coupled with no exercise wasn't good for me. How so? How so? I tend to find for myself that consistent amounts of alcohol on an ongoing basis for me is in itself a depressant. Now, some people say, well, that can be for anyone. Absolutely. But for me, it kind of affects me quite dramatically. And so when I was starting to be at home on my own and drink more regularly, it was not a very good
0: combination. Joe, like all the great partners, he was Tim's rock. But Things had reached this point where Joe just didn't know how to help Tim.
1: Joe would say to me, I just want you to be happy, Tim. And they were incredibly genuine and incredibly caring words, but they were really, really hard to hear because I knew that that's what he wanted and I wanted to do that for him. And I knew that I wanted it. And I didn't know how the hell to get there. And so it was kind of like he had a megaphone and he was standing there right next to my ear, going, I just want you to be happy. It was deafening because I didn't know what to do. The defining point came where it was incredibly stressful at home. And Joe and I got to the point that we that I finally admitted that I couldn't fix it myself, because I had spent quite a long period of time going, "Um, I'm a clever man, I know how to fix this, I'll get back to my sport, I'll make myself happy, I finally admitted that I could not do it on my own. I was smart enough to realise, finally, that if I allowed this to play out further, that I would lose a lot.
0: And if it was Joe, it would have been everything. So with Joe's encouragement and support, Tim reached out to a mental health professional. When you first walked into a therapist's office, what was going through your head? What was going through my head was,
1: am I going to play a game Hmm. and only share some information or just drip feed them a bit or just be, you know... Tim's actually okay, but I think I better tell you this bit. But you're now going to tell me that everything's all right. Am I going to play that game or am I going to finally lay it all out and get some help?
0: So what did you decide to do?
1: <laughs> I laid it all out and got some help. I, I couldn't play that game and then go home to Joe, but I couldn't play that game because I was exhausted. Right. I was.
0: It was time. So it was time to lay it all out. I think there'll be lots of people listening to this that have heard the concept. They're probably saying it in movies and TV shows, no. but the actual experience of it, a real-life Australian experience of it, it's probably quite foreign. So what surprised you when you went and got therapy therapy, which is not a technical term, but let's imagine that oh, it is. <laughs> okay, that's a very good term, huh? You know what it was like?
1: I was when I told somebody at work that I was gay and finally got it off my shoulders. All of a sudden, I had someone in front of me that their sole existence for that period of time with me was to take care of me.
0: When you were 19, your parents called a priest and you (laughs) sat in a room and you felt like a problem to be solved. Mm -hmm. How different did this feel? Um, This felt
1: like I was in control and I was going to make a change in my life,
0: no matter what. And it made me feel really, really good. During those therapy sessions, Tim gets a diagnosis of depression and anxiety. How did it feel when those words were said? Did they ring true? <laughs> Please tell me you I, laughed exactly like you're I, laughing right now. <laughs> well, well, it's like, remember
1: when I finally started telling people at work? And most of the time they were like, yep. They were either, don't really care. <laughs> or like, seriously? This is my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or tell me something I don't know. <laughs> yeah, that's like, like, so, you know, which bit is it? And all of a sudden I've seen them going, seriously, I kept all that bloody secret and tiptoe around hiding that for that. <laughs> um, it, was, it, it was just the same. Seriously? I've been, I can sort this all out and I can fix this and those people over there are the ones that are struggling with, you know, anxiety or um, depression or that, that's not me. Like, f- serious? Mm. Like, I'm a really smart dude. Mm. How
0: did I become so not so smart? From there, things got better. Slowly, Tim stopped bringing his work problems home with him and dumping them on Joe. He started sleeping through the night again. He stopped blaming himself for every little thing that went wrong. In work situations, I was calm. And I could
1: have a rational discussion with a client about what we could or couldn't do for them before I jumped in to blaming my Mm -hmm. staff member. All of a sudden, smart, logical, informed him could have a rational conversation with people and support his team. And I'm not saying that everything changed immediately, but it was kind of like I slowly came out of this fog and haze and I could start to see...
0: Clear daylight everywhere. In addition to the therapy sessions, Tim made significant changes to other areas of his life too. Uh, He found a business mentor who helped him better manage the balance between work and life. Actually, he became a mentor himself, finding purpose and helping others. He overall became more sociable. And when challenges popped up in his life or his work, because they do, he found he had better responses. Do anxiety and depression, do they still rear their head for you? And, and if they do, how, how do you address them when you feel those feelings coming on? Definitely um, anxiety. And
1: it comes and goes. And understanding that I struggle with anxiety, I now know in situations when I'm getting anxious, something was happening before and I had no control over it. And I've trained myself to, to the best of my ability to step out of those situations that drive high levels of anxiety in me. Mm. I don't expect everything to be perfect. I expect to get anxious in situations, but I also expect myself to monitor them and do my best A, not to punish myself, and B, get things back on track. <laughs>
0: Work stress is one of those things that can manifest in a lot of different ways, not just the way it manifested for Tim. So are there things you can take from Tim's story that can help you? Well, that is why we have Beyond Blue's lead clinical advisor, Dr Grant Blaschke. Dr Grant, nice to see you again. Great to see you. One of the things that really strikes me is that Tim's mental health deterioration was really gradual. It's not like he woke up one day with a cold and, you know, it was there, ready and present. Is that is that common to have it be
2: so gradual? Absolutely. It's one of the things I guess I like being a GP as well, is you just see the messiness and the subtlety of how things happen. So it's not a sudden wake up in the morning, I've got depression. You know, be a process, you know, withdrawing from things, a few losses, you know, getting a little bit preoccupied with some negative things. So it's more gradual. I guess one of the things that strikes me with Tim's story is when it first started, he tried a few things which actually made it worse. Mm. You know, he backed off his exercise. He wasn't getting enough sleep. He was, you know, up on his phone half the night. Um, tried a bit of alcohol, and there's pretty typical sorts of things people will do.
0: Tim's story is fascinating because it sits the nexus between uh, obviously his issues around his sexuality uh, and also his work and and how those two things interacted. Are there more general tips and strategies you can give people about how to deal with work-life balance if if you're getting that balance not quite right?
2: Yeah, so uh, the whole issue of work and mental health is a really close connection. Many people spending many of their waking hours in their workplace. I think uh, a couple of tips for trying to keep that balance is keep the boundaries between work and home. And in Tim's case, you know, he's looking at emails and bank statements in the middle of the night on his phone. The electronic access to people is sort of a a blessing and a curse. Mm. So create some boundaries around that. He also talked about how with his partner, how he was sort of using – his relationship in a way to debrief about every minutiae problem he had at work. And that became a little bit of a problem for the relationship that he identified. So I guess if someone's got a very stressful work environment, yes, you get some help from your partner, but maybe it's time to get a business mentor or to speak to a psychologist if you're really sort of running into trouble with it. Mm.
0: And lastly, of all the things that Tim and I talked about, What, for you, was probably the most surprising thing, the thing that stayed with you?
2: Oh, the the thing that I loved about your interview with with Tim was when he realised not only were people not judgmental about him being gay, but when he told them he had a mental health issue, they went, oh, sorry to hear that, how can we help? Let's move on, you know. And and I think, you know, that huge gap between how worried he was about all this stuff and that in the end, people were very supportive.
0: For that one moment in a year like this, faith in humanity has been
2: restored. (laughs) Absolutely, loved it.
0: Dr Grant, it's lovely to see you again. Thanks so much. Thank you. So on the 20th of October in
1: 2018, over 30 years after Joe and I first met, we got married. Some might say I was dragging Joe up there because <laughs> it looked like I was a young kid running to the playground. <laughs> and we walked up in front of everybody and then we stood there and I could not have been happier. And that was where I got to after struggling for a number of years in a place where I didn't think it would come back.
0: Wanna say a huge thank you to Tim for sharing his story. You can always join the conversation yourself uh, and share your story if you want on beyondblue.org.au slash forums. If this has brought up any issues for you, or you know somebody who needs support, you can visit, obviously, the website I just mentioned. But also, there is a support service that you can reach on 1300 222 4636. Plus, there is quite a few resources that you can get in the show notes. Not Alone is a Beyond Blue podcast. It is hosted by me, I'm Mark Fennell. It is produced by Sam Loy and executive produced by Darcy Sutton, Sarah Alexander and Tom Ross. This podcast was recorded and produced on Wurundjeri, Boonwurrung and Gadigal country and we pay respect to the traditional owners of these lands. Thank you for listening to Not Alone.